Are you looking for a talk show featuring leading global voices? Do you want to learn more about how international issues directly affect people locally? Global Connections Television presents the insights of global influencers at no cost to viewers and programmers. GCTV is independently produced and reaches more than 70 million potential viewers worldwide each week. The show covers everything from human rights to climate change, from peace and security to empowering women and girls. It features guests such as Dr. Jane Goodall, former UN High Commissioner for Human Rights Mary Robinson, and Peter Yarrow of Peter, Paul, and Mary. The show also hosts expert voices from the private sector, academia, and labor and environmental movements. GCTV is available to public television media outlets, universities, and service clubs for distribution. To watch the show or find out more, click the link in our episode description. Hi, I'm Casey Candela. And I'm Stephanie Fillion. And welcome to Unscripted. Today, the Nobel Committee gives the UN system its 12th Nobel Peace Prize as the UN celebrates its 75th anniversary. This year, the World Food Program has been awarded the highest recognition for peace. This is Unscripted, a podcast taking you inside the United Nations and beyond the scripted debates to the people at the heart of it all, the diplomats and the reporters covering them. Literally, someone comes running in, and in fact, in the hallway, there was a, no, no, the, the executive director's with the ministers, and, and they're like, no, you don't understand, you don't understand. And so only thing I heard was, when the door was open, Nobel Peace Prize. And I'm like, oh, wow, who won it? We did. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you're kidding me. I mean, literally, <laughs> we were just like, you got to be kidding. And uh, it was just a, I mean, a wonderful surprise. I think in a time when the world needs some good news, this was good news. And hopefully we can take this news and turn it into a way to save more people. That's the voice of David Beasley speaking to reporters at the airport, as you could probably tell from the background noise, in Ouagadougou, the capital of Burkina Faso. Beasley is the executive director of the World Food Program, and he happened to be in the Sahel region the day the UN organization was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize on October 9th. I think the fact that I was in the Sahel when we received the announcement is uh, really a message from above that, hey world, with all the things going on around the world today, please don't forget about people in the Sahel. Please don't forget about the people that are struggling and dying from starvation while we deal with some of the issues. A past Blue contributor, Claire McDougall, who is based in Burkina Faso and covered Beasley's special day, is going to be with us later in the show to tell us more about what the prize means for the UN and the World Food Program, which delivers aid across the globe. And, as David Beasley said, we'll talk about the significance of the UN agency winning the prize while in a region in which some countries are on the brink of famine, amid simmering conflicts, and extreme climate problems. But first, let's have a look at what this prize means for the UN. It's the 12th Nobel Peace Prize related to the UN, and it's received at a turning point in the UN's history, in the midst of a global pandemic, with multilateralism in crisis, 
and as the UN commemorates its 75th anniversary. The first Peace Prize awarded to the UN was in 1950, only five years after the UN's creation. The prize went to Ralph Bunch, an African-American diplomat, for having arranged a ceasefire between Israelis and Arabs during the war that followed the creation of Israel in 1948. Four years later, the United Nations Office of the High Commissioner for Refugees, or UNHCR, received its first of two Nobel Peace Prizes for its work with displaced persons in Europe after World War II. And UNHCR won the prize again in 1981. The first secretary general to win the prize was Dag Amersholt from Sweden, who died in a mysterious plane crash in 1961 in what is today the country of Zambia, and he received the prize posthumously the same year. At the time, the committee said, and I quote, in every situation with which he was faced, he had one goal in mind, to serve the idea sponsored by the United Nations. But Dag Hammarskjöld wasn't the only UN Secretary General to get the award. Kofi Annan won the prize in 2001, along with the rest of the UN. It was soon after 9-11, and the committee acknowledged the attack by saying, Today, the organization is at the forefront of efforts to achieve peace and security in the world, and of the international mobilization aimed at meeting the world's economic, social, and environmental challenges. There are also many UN specialized or related agencies that have won the Nobel Peace Prize. The UN's Children's Fund, or UNICEF, won it in 1965. Four years later, the International Labour Organization was awarded the prize, as well as the Peacekeeping Forces in 1988. More recently, the International Atomic Energy Agency won the prize in 2005, along with its Director General Mohamed El Baradai, and the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapon, or OPCW, received the award for its work in Syria and elsewhere in 2013. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, along with former U.S. Vice President Al Gore, were also awarded the prize in 2007. So that was another win for the U.N. But this year is a pivotal one for the United Nations. The organization is facing a credibility deficit with the rise of populist leaders around the world. And the U.S. has denounced the World Health Organization for its handling of the pandemic. But the apolitical organization that is the Nobel Committee nevertheless made a political claim in awarding the World Food Program. And David Beasley didn't just take the prize and the honors with it. He used a sudden international spotlight on October 9 to make specific requests. It's a call to action, and I'm especially calling out the billionaires Billionaires are making, some of the billionaires are making billions on COVID, and the world needs you now. It's a one-time catastrophic human disaster, and we need you to step up now. We need $5 billion above what we normally need to keep 30 million people from dying. We need the billionaires to step up. They're making billions, if not trillions. If you're not going to step up now in a big way, win. And so, please, fulfill your moral obligation to humanity at a time such as this. Step up. 
The World Food Program's budget has been on Beasley's mind for months. In April, he spoke with the Security Council about what his organization will need to address the looming hunger crisis exacerbated by the pandemic. So we can't solve the COVID pandemic without also understanding the hunger pandemic. And so when you step back and begin to look at globally, and so this is what I will tell the leaders of the Security Council, is I said, look, 2020, with, with all the horrific humanitarian crisis we're having around the world, we had plenty of funding because 2020 funds were based on 2019 budgets. Budget, you know, the budgets were passed in 2019 with strong economies, a lot of reserves for more help on the humanitarian side. They did many of the things that we asked them to do at the Security Council that would allow us to avert famine. We did that. Well, 2021 is screaming around the corner. There's no reserves. The economic downturn is taking place. The ripple effect to poor countries is devastating. And to talk about David Beasley's special day, we have with us Claire McDougall, an independent reporter based in Burkina Faso and a contributor to Pass Blue. Stephanie talked with her earlier this week. Okay, so Claire, can you tell me a little more uh, about the day that the World Food Program was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize? Was, what was it like for you? Certainly. So I was in the capital city of Burkina Faso, Ouagadougou, where I'm based. And I found out news from another colleague that the World Food Program had won the Nobel Peace Prize. And I was working on another story for Pass Blue, I think, in fact. And yeah, basically, we, we knew that he would be coming through Ouagadougou. Um, and we spent a large part of the day trying to find out when a press conference would be organized. And by he, I mean the head of the World Food Program, David Beasley. Uh, so, Claire, can you tell me a little more about who David Beasley is? Yeah, certainly. So, um, David Beasley is obviously the head of the World Food Program, and he was appointed into that position by the Trump administration in the spring of 2017. And he's a former Republican governor of South Carolina, and he was recommended for the UN job by Nikki Haley, who was the US ambassador to the UN at the time. So, David Beasley, it just happened that he was in the Burkina Faso on that day? Yeah, so he was actually in Niger when the award was announced, but he'd been doing a tour of the Sahel because the Sahel region has been significantly impacted by both conflict and problems with hunger and access to food. And he had been in Burkina Faso on a tour with the Swedish development minister earlier and then had gone to Niger. And it wasn't the first time for you sort of randomly reporting on the Nobel Peace Prize, right? No. So I was based in Liberia a number of years ago and I covered the elections in 2011. And um, that was the year when President Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, the former President Ellen Johnson Sirleaf and Lema Bowie were two of the three Nobel laureates. And there was also a Yemeni journalist who was the third laureate. And that was a really interesting experience because it was in the middle of very, very heated and tense elections. And she was given the award very close to the, um, I think it was the first round of the elections. 
So it sounds like this nomination for the Nobel Peace Prize in this case was a little more controversial. And we've seen other examples of the Nobel Peace Prize being sort of uh, debated among experts. For example, when Barack Obama won the Nobel Peace Prize, it was quite early in his presidency. And some people said, you know, yeah, he hadn't done that much when he got it. But this year, giving the Nobel Peace Prize to the World Food Program seems uh, sort of a safe choice. Is that accurate? What did people you talked to said? So I spoke to a, a really interesting author called Uni Turatini, who has written a book on the um, Nobel Peace Prize uh, and some of the controversies surrounding it. And she characterized this as a safe award. You know, and she told me it's hard to criticize an organization that fights against poverty and hunger. And I think the committee in its reasoning had a point that in order to have a more stable world and work towards peace, we cannot have people who are hungry. And I think that particularly in contrast, to um, the awarding of last year's Nobel Peace Prize to the Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed Ali for resumption of peace talks with Eritrea. I think that this award was a lot less controversial given some of the criticisms that have been levelled against Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed Ali over his crackdown on um, dissidents and management of the government in Ethiopia. The Wolf Program is also being awarded the Nobel Peace Prize at really a turning point for the United Nations, you know, with the, the WHO's handling of the pandemic. So can you tell me a little more about the significance also for the UN more broadly? Certainly. I mean, I think the WHO and the UN itself and other UN bodies have been um, criticized in particular by the US administration. So it is a, a very sort of significant award and perhaps even sort of a statement in support of the UN or the UN and its agencies. And during the press conference, my Swedish journalist colleague posed a really interesting question to David Beasley. He asked, do you think the WHO would be disappointed about not having won the prize? And he sort of diplomatically responded to that question. This was just a great, a great prize for amazing people. And I'm hopeful that we'll be an inspiration an example for other organizations and people to follow. What else did uh, David Beasley say during his press conference? What was the general tone? Sure. I mean, I think that he really talked about the urgent need to invest and donate to the World Food Program. He called for an additional $5 billion. He called on billionaires to step up. And he emphasized that this was a, a really unprecedented crisis. He said that the hunger crisis next year could be something along the lines of what we saw historically during World War II. When COVID hit, obviously, we became the the humanitarian logistics backbone for COVID supplies and distribution, as well as passengers, because pretty much, uh, particularly in the developing nations, airline commercial business was shut down. So there was no way to get humanitarian workers, doctors, nurses, you know, ambassadors, et cetera. Not to mention PPE, testing equipment, you know, gowns and all the things, ventilators and stuff. So we picked up that tab and stepped up and supplied uh, the, the, the planes, the logistics backbone for the COVID response and in 
the difficult countries struggling around the world. And he also used it to underline the ongoing hunger crisis in the Sahel. In Burkina Faso alone, there are 3.3 million people facing acute food shortages. There are 11,000 people who are living in famine conditions. Burkina Faso is a country that is facing one of the fastest growing displacement crises in the world, and it's receiving not as much media attention as it should be internationally, in particular because of the COVID crisis. And, you know, I think Beasley himself um, made this really interesting comment about how sort of the COVID pandemic is really overshadowing other problems in the world, like the dire situation when it comes to hunger. So I think that it hopefully will give a significant boost to media coverage and will make people around the world more aware of the situation. Thank you so much, Claire, for your time. Thank you very much, Stephanie. That's it for our show. This episode was co-produced by me, Casey Candela, and Stephanie Filion for Pass Blue, an independent women-led media site covering the United Nations and global affairs. Dulce Leimbach is our editor, AI Digital created our podcast logo, and our music is by Poddington Bear. A lot happens at the UN beyond what we report in each episode of Unscripted. And PassBlue is covering the important news, from women's rights to human rights to the Trump effect on the UN. For day-to-day coverage, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And to subscribe to our newsletter, go to PassBlue.com. Past Blue's in-depth and exclusive stories and this podcast are possible with the support of the Carnegie Corporation of New York, the New School, and listeners like you. To show your support, visit Past Blue's website and click Donate. Unscripted is available wherever you find podcasts. If you like today's show, please rate us on iTunes and share with all your friends. 